Off Grid, the Not Really About Crosswords podcast, with him, Dave, and him, Void, where we think that you can find interesting topics to talk about in cryptic crosswords. So we've solved one, and we're going to tell you about our three favourite clues and how they work, but mostly we'll be chatting about those interesting topics that we found. And if you're interested in doing the same puzzle that we did, for this episode, it was the Independence Puzzle number 11093 from Tuesday the 3rd of May 2022, which was by Wiglaf. So if you don't want minor spoilers, pause playback here and go solve it before you come back. On the other hand, if you're not a solver or you're listening somewhere where you can't do that, like out for a jog or a drive, it's absolutely fine not to. And we will also have a short quiz inspired by some words in the puzzle, for which we will be requiring general knowledge. Are you there at the end of the line, General? Hello, Void. I'm here. Hooray. Nice to hear. And you, Dave. So, our favourite clues. General, what was your favourite clue from the puzzle? My favourite clue was Legendary Queen titillates the Royal Guards. And that's six letters. And yours, Dave? Uh, the one I picked was four down, which said, looked online for work, looked long and hard, seven letters. What did you pick? I chose eight down, which says, fodder ultimately for the old grey donkey, three, five. We'll come back to those and explain how they work to you later. Uh, so either have a think about them or ignore them. But meanwhile, General, which word did you pick out of the puzzle to have a chat about? Well, I actually picked two words. I don't know if that's allowed, but I've done it anyway. Help um, I picked them because they intersect in the grid, and they're two words that, although they're not linked in the clues, they are linked to me. And they were two down Leicester and 19 across Mercury, the, that being the local newspaper for Leicester. The reason that's significant to me, I had a girlfriend many, many years ago who was from Leicester and she would always say if something was lost, it would be behind the sofa with Wednesday's Mercury, <laughs> whatever it was, your passport, wallet, phone, whatever. Yeah, that's where the Mercury ended up for some reason in her household. But it got me to thinking about newspapers and how they're named. Why... Is the Leicester Mercury called the Mercury? Well, fairly obvious, I think, because it's named after the Roman god Mercury, I would assume. A number of other newspapers called the Mercury, including the Stamford Mercury, which claims to be Britain's oldest continuously published newspaper. That's been in print since 1712. Mm-hmm. Mercury is the messenger of the gods. So he brought exactly. the news, yeah. I assume. Fleet-footed and all that, yes. Yeah, that, that's the, the most obvious connection. But it's, it's funny, Mercury is also apparently god of financial gain, commerce, eloquence, travellers, boundaries, luck, trickery and thieves. And etymologically, Mercury is believed to be linked to the words like merchant and commerce. Oh, yeah. rather than the, which is interesting, I thought, rather than the messenger side of things. And that's yeah. obviously what it's named for. Then what slightly puzzled me, I got to thinking, well... His, that was Mercury was the Roman god, and his Greek counterpart was Hermes. 
but you don't see any newspapers called Hermes. And I've looked and I've looked, but I can't find any examples. <laughs> hmm. So, yeah, they just reserve Hermes for the names of crap messenger companies. Yeah, <laughs> patron saint of late deliveries. Yeah, Exactly, <laughs> yeah. From that, I sort of started delving into other newspaper names. Now, obviously, the, the archetypal newspaper name is the Times. Mm-hmm. The Times of London, founded in 1785, was the very first newspaper in the world to have its name. And all the other times is New York Times and the rest of them copied it. What I thought was interesting about that, though, I, mean, there's, I couldn't find any evidence why that particular name was chosen. But the founder, John Walter, who was also the first editor, originally called it the Daily Universal Register. Snappy. Snappy. <laughs> That's obviously why it didn't catch on, because the first three years of being out, it didn't do very well at all. And so anyone changed the name to Times and it really took off. So um, all these these companies that do these rebranding exercises now, changing things like Hermes to ridiculous names like Every, maybe there's something in it after all. The other interesting thing about John Walter, he spent 16 months in prison for libel that he printed in the Times while he was editor. Crikey. In, in 1803, he handed over editorship to his son, who was also called John Walter, and give you two guesses what the third editor's name was. It wasn't John Walter the Third, was it? It, it was indeed. <laughs> so yeah, nothing like keeping it in the family. Other newspaper names. Um, Gazette, a very common one. Um, it's a word that we just take to mean newspaper. But do you know where the word comes from originally? It's Italian, isn't it? Yes. It certainly it sounds is. like Gazzetta. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I can't remember what but, it means, though, in Italian. No, no, me neither. It came to English from French, but then from French, originally from Italian. It's actually a 16th century Venetian word. It's the name of a small coin, a small copper coin. Ah. Oh. So-called because newspapers um, in Venice at the time would cost one gazetta. Oh. Ah. So that, that ties in nicely to the uh, episode a couple of episodes ago where I was talking about names of coins. One to add to the list, yeah. One to add to the list. Yeah, well, I've got another one for you as well, in fact. Picayune. Do you know that one? This is a... <laughs> in, in the southern states of the US, uh, quite a few newspapers are called Picayune. That's P-I-C-A-Y-U-N-E. I knew uh, the word, a... but I didn't know it was used as a newspaper name. No, apparently Ooh, so. Well, I did there's... know it was used as a newspaper name, but I didn't know where it came from. Oh. Well, there you go. It's, uh, it's So the Times Picayune of New Orleans is the perhaps the most famous example. Goodness. According to Merriam-Webster, in the 19th century American South, a Picayune was a coin with low monetary value, and the word derives from Picayune, which means small coin in the Occitan language of southern France. Oh. And that gets its name from the Occitan word pica, which means to jingle, referring to the sound of coins jingling in your pocket. Yeah. Ah. So there you go. Nice. Another fun American newspaper name I've come across is the Sacramento Bee, which was launched by James McClatchy in 1857. And that's obviously not a name we have in the UK, as far as I'm aware. No, um, so is there any uh, relation to things like spelling bees as competitions or meetings? No, no, it's more the sort of the uh, the industry of the bee. 
Oh, it's a, a, a busy. Uh, you talk about a newspaper office as a hive of industry, don't you? Yes, correct. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. The um, there was an, an explanation in the very first edition, which said the name of the bee has been adopted as being different from that of any other paper in the state, and also being emblematic of the industry which is to prevail in its every department. Mm. So there you go. Another interesting fact about the Sacramento Bee is its mascot was designed by none other than Walt Disney. Oh, very good. <laughs> yeah. um, it's a, a bee called Scoopy. Scoopy. Designed in 1943. <laughs> Apparently so, yeah. Uh, and it's, um, as far as I can tell, is the, the Sacramento Bee claimed this. I haven't been able to verify it elsewhere, but it's the only Disney-created character that's allowed to appear in work created outside Disney companies and productions. Oh. oh, I see. Right, because they got a license from him early on, presumably. Yeah, yeah. I'm or or he ahead. drew it for them rather than for his own company, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. There was a little mm. rabbit on the Antiques Roadshow the other day, and apparently it was a, a precursor character to Mickey Mouse, and it was really popular before Mickey was. Oh, whose was name that, um, I've just forgotten. Oh, you remember? Oswald, was it? Yes. That sounds vaguely familiar. Yes. Which I'd never heard of, but the presenter was saying, Oh, these Oswald rabbit cuttings are absolutely brilliant. You should check them out. So maybe we should. Mickey Mouse was very nearly Mortimer. Um, I mm. think it was Disney's wife yeah. who persuaded him to call it Mickey instead. Snappier. Mm. I'm more of a Looney Tunes man myself. Yeah, I've never found Mickey Mouse particularly funny. The Looney Tunes had a little bit more anarchy to them, didn't they? I think. And better music as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, what else have I got on my list of newspaper names? Uh, the uh-huh. Wasp, so yeah, as well as the Bee, there was the Wasp. It's a short-lived New York newspaper. Uh, it came out in 1802. The interesting thing about that is its editor, Harry Crosswell, was a fierce opponent of Thomas Jefferson and um, was prosecuted for libel. It's con- constantly attacking him in the paper. There's a and, theme uh, coming along here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's the newspaper editors throughout history. The interesting thing about Harry Crosswell, though, is although he lost his case against Thomas Jefferson, it, what it actually led to was some states changing their laws to establish the precept of truth as a defence against libel, but only when it's published with good motives and for justifiable ends. So, yeah, Crosswell is pioneer for press freedom. Okay, another one I've got on my list, Tribune, um, another fairly common newspaper name. Of course, the Tribune in ancient Rome was an elected official whose job was to protect the citizens, sort of an equivalent to a modern ombudsman. And the idea of a um, newspaper being called a Tribune is that it's a kind of champion of the people. And the sun. Now, the sun gets its name from the idea that it provides enlightenment. <laughs> Uh-huh. Okay, I wrote in my notes there, like, pause for laughter. Maybe not what it's remembered for these days. Um, but that was the interesting thing about the Sun. It was it's founded in six, 1964 as the success to the Daily Herald, which was uh, originally a Labour-supporting broadsheet, which seems to be the very antithesis of what it is now. It has changed um, a lot through its history, yeah. Mm. It's uh, quite a lot, yeah. Um, Daily Herald actually started in 1910 as The World and was a daily bulletin for the Printers' Union, the London Society of Compositors. And at the time, they were involved in industrial dispute over working hours, which I thought was interesting that the Sun would have its origins in that, given that I'm, well, I'm old enough to remember what happened in the 80s when the Sun moved to Wapping. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, mm. The World. There's another newspaper called The World. 
But it's well, in French. I was going to French say indeed, Le Mans. It's well, of course, you go. It's the top, the times. You get sites in Germany as well, don't you? It's the times. Yeah. yeah. And the world is quite a. It's a wide remit to give yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's uh, yeah. I'm just like I said. I could have gone on for hours on this subject, but that will do for now. That's all she wrote. All right. In the meantime, let's come back and look at the first of those clues we picked out. So, if you remember, the one that I liked was looked online for work, looked long and hard. Well, this was a charade, and you just had to spot the right place to split the definition from the wordplay. Uh, in this case, after the words looked online for, because work is go, as in if you get a machine working, you get it going. And to look long and hard at somebody might be to ogle them. You put it in the past tense and stick the two together. Go ogled spells googled, which is looked online for. Now, I did briefly think that the for was going to be just a link word between the definition and the wordplay. But after a bit of thinking, I was satisfied that it was part of the definition, because if you're Googling something, you're searching for it. So that's all right. Okay, Void, what did you find inspiring to talk about? I picked the word Rebeck out of the puzzle, mainly because the clue mentioned a Yardbird. And mm. I like the band The Yardbirds, who used to feature in the 1960s Jeff Beck, the Beck of Rebeck, who is now a legendary great rock guitarist. Now, I have to admit, I haven't actually listened to the Elbows for quite a while. And I, I may dig some old cassettes out to have a listen to after mm. I've uh, recorded to this. I mean, that in itself is an admission of uh, dating. Certain vintage, yes. Yeah. But while I was looking things up, I found out, to my surprise, that the Elbows are currently a going concern. Hmm. They originally disbanded in 1968, and a version of them sort of lingered on and performed a few existing contracted gigs in Scandinavia as the New Yardbirds, Mm -hmm. who then promptly morphed themselves into Led Zeppelin. I do remember seeing a version of the Yardbirds live in not sure late 80s early 90s at the station tavern the blues pub in latimer road in london now i can't quite remember if they were billed as the Yardbirds or if it was billed as featuring so and so and so and so of the Yardbirds. i think possibly top topper might have been in there but anyway that was definitely before 1992 which is when i've read that the band reformed. They've had a lot of lineup changes since then, mm. um, and the only original member now is Jim McCarty, the drummer. But if you're in the northeast US, you can see them live in September if you fancy that. Mm. All of which is a bit of an aside, right? <laughs> because you may be wondering what's a Rebec anyway when it's at home. Well, we're still in the world of music. Was this something that was familiar to you? Vaguely, although I, I think I was more familiar with a slightly different spelling, I think, without the K. Yeah, that's the spelling on them as well. But Yeah, it's a musical instrument. It's like the viol. Yeah, it's it's an instrument with a pear-shaped bowl that's carved from a single piece of wood. That's the distinguishing characteristic I read. Uh, a sort of 
proto violin and typically it's got three strings and it's played with a bow and this is possibly an evolution from the earlier arabic rebab one of which features in the novel don quixote which we mentioned last week uh, oh, very nice. yeah. there's lots of nice linking of things in yeah but that's still a bit of an aside because about the time that I solved this puzzle, I was watching an episode of the BBC series Art That Made Us. And it had a short feature on someone called Grinling Gibbons. Have you heard of him? It's an architect. Is that right? Um, the I, first I two the letters are right. He is oh. a um, 17th, 18th century Baroque era artist. I was say the artist name was familiar, but I couldn't yeah. place who or what. Yeah. Right. And they showed a, a piece of his artwork on this program. Now, you've heard of the concept of a still life in art, which is mm -hmm. where the artist arranges a selection of items, maybe some fruit and flowers, uh, a few objets d'art in a pleasing arrangement and then paints them. Well, this program showed a still life of Gibbons's featuring various musical instruments one of which I thought might have been a Rebec. I'm not sure it was, though. Um, there's a violin in there, a bow, a lute, a recorder, a piece of lace. Uh, there's some sheets of paper with musical notation on them and some flowers and leaves to, to offset it all. But this still life was not a painting. It was a fully 3D wood carving. Oh, very interesting. Because Grinling Gibbons has been called the Michelangelo of wood. And I'd previously seen a full documentary on him on uh, BBC4, I think it was, and I expect that will turn up again on iPlayer at some point. Mm -hmm. He mostly worked in lime wood, but did, do, did some work in stone and marble as well. He was born in Rotterdam, but moved to England by the time he was 20. And he was discovered by the diarist John Ebelin, who you might have heard of. Uh, through whom he got introductions to Sir Christopher Wren and King Charles II. And he was later known as the King's Carver by 1680. And his works can be seen in St Paul's Cathedral, Kensington Palace, Windsor Castle, and various stately homes and churches. And more accessibly, on an internet image search. Which is exactly <laughs> what I'm just doing. I'm, I'm just, just looking up a bunch of his pictures and going, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. I mean, pictures of his stuff. It's very good. Yeah, I've, I've gone on a bit already, so I think I should probably just say go and check out some pictures of of his stuff. We'll link to some in the blog. Mm, they're it's, very good. It's okay. just incredible yeah. craftsmanship that you could carve something so ornate in in wood. Is is just really good. Yeah, and so if, so go and fall down them. Google them. Yes. <laughs> And if you should happen to be passing the Victoria and Albert Museum on the Cromwell Road, then you can look up and wave at his statue. Oh, very nice. I just thought this was another case of stopping to wonder, how hard is that? Like I was saying in previous episodes, and, you know, mm. giving a round of applause, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> Grinling Gibbons, fascinating guy. Very good. General, would you like to explain your chosen clue to us now, how that works? Yes, as I said, my favourite clue was Five Across. Legendary Queen titillates the Royal Guards. And six letters. And the answer was Esther, the girl's name, Esther. Also the legendary queen of 
biblical theme. Um, the reason I like this is it's a hidden word clue, which generally regarded as the easiest type of clue to solve, as the answer is there in plain sight in the clue in front of you. In this case, though, it did, took me quite a long time to spot it, and that's because it's quite cleverly hidden, and the indicator word, guards, is not immediately obvious. The suggestion being that it's, yeah, the word Esther is guarded within the contents of titulates the royal. The other thing I thought was interesting about this was given that Wiglaf only needed the ES from the end of titillates to provide the word. His choice of verb, yes. Could have chosen any verb that ends ES. Changes, for example, you change the guards. No, titillates, which I thought made for an amusing surface. Cool. Dave, what are you going to go on about this episode? Well, I also am going to Sorry, start. Sorry, that sounded off. a bit condescending. <laughs> oh, I'm going to go on. Well, you know what? Yeah, some of us do go on a bit, don't we? So you know, yeah, guilty. Um, following the general's lead, I've also kind of started from the point of two words in the grid. There were several words that were new to me in this one. Uh, one, at least one, completely so, and and one as a sort of slight variation on a familiar place name. Um, and the first of these was can I at 27 across, which is C-A-N-A-I-L-L-E, defined in the clue as the rabble. Now, I had to look that up because I'd not heard of it. Turns out it is indeed the common people, the mob or the masses. And it comes from the Italian canalia, ultimately meaning a pack of dogs from the Latin canis. Uh, seems obvious now you mentioned. Mm, so likening the common rabble to a pack of baying hounds, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and this took my brain, for reasons you'll see in a moment, to the Canary Islands. Canarii Insulae in the Latin. Because, according to Pliny the Elder, Canaria was populated by vast multitudes of dogs of very large size. So they get their name from dogs. Um Conversely, the very small canary birds are in turn named after the islands because they were also found there, along with various other location-specific species of finches and chiffchaffs and so on. At any rate, Wikipedia tells us that uh, before human settlement, the Canary Islands were also inhabited by various giant lizards, as beloved of 1950s science fiction filmmakers. <laughs> and giant rats, rodents of unusual size, you might say, and giant tortoises. This is the sort of thing that evolution does in isolated ecosystems, right? Well, of course, the other place where that sort of thing famously happened is the Galapagos Islands. More specialised local varieties of finches, more giant tortoises, all of which set Darwin off on his famous lines of thinking. Mm-hmm. So one across in the grid, we had not Galapagos, but just Galapago, singular, which was the other new term to me, defined in the clue as tortoise. So I went and looked that up. And yeah, and indeed, it's a Spanish word for a species of tortoise. So in the same way that the Canaries are literally islands of dogs, the Galapagos are literally islands of tortoises. Ah, so the islands were named after the tortoises and not vice versa? Absolutely, yep. That's interesting. Yeah. but the, I always assumed it was the other round. It's, it's one of two sets of names, and the other, the other official name for the islands, or as a group, is the Archipelago de Colón, 
named after Christopher Columbus. Mm-hmm. That, of course, ties us also neatly into the uh, earlier coins episode because a colon is the name of the unit of currency of Bolivia, not Bolivia, no. No. Colombia, El Salvador, and Costa Rica. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and secondly, obviously, a colon is sorry, a colon is a <laughs> punctuation mark. So if we imagined not the archipelago de Colón, but the archipelago de Semicolón, <laughs> that would take us not to Tenerife, but to San Serif. Uh, yes. A group of islands that I did promise to mention at the end of episode 17, after I was talking about the non-existent island of Bermea. See, it all ties in. <laughs> it all ties in. So San Serif is a small archipelago in the Indian Ocean. And it too doesn't exist because it was made up for an April Fool's Day feature in The Guardian in 1977. So for those unfamiliar with it, the geography is that the two main islands themselves, named Case Superiore and Case Inferiore... (laughs) Uppercase and lowercase. Uppercase and lowercase, (laughs) are roughly in the shape of a semicolon. And all the features of the islands were either puns on typesetting and page layout terms or names of typefaces. This being the days, of course, long before home word processors and desktop publishing. So names of typefaces were somewhat less familiar to the general public than they are today. So, so the, was, was the article claiming these islands had just been discovered or just doing a feature it, on it them? It was just doing... There was a thing at the time that there was a popular kind of travel features about obscure places in the world you know this, okay. here's telling you all about whatever wherever it was so they thought they would do a spoof on that and, and just want to do one of these travel. and they originally were going to do just just the one like article and they ended up getting a lot of the advertisers involved as well so that huge quantities of the issue apparently were kind of related to sensory uh, i think Kodak or some other um, film manufacturer were roped in and they did an advert saying if you've got pictures of Sans Serif we'd love to see them (laughs) anyway yeah so the capital city was called Bodoni and the wide beach that made up the inner curve of the tail of the southern island was called Gil Sands oh god (laughs) is Bodoni a typeface name? it is is, yeah yeah and so obviously they've they've become one of the more famous and long remembered April Fool hoaxes, along with the spaghetti harvest. And they've been revisited several times down the years by the Guardian, including in a two thousand and nine cryptic crossword by Puck. Ah. And finally, if if you go on Google Maps and do a search for San Serif, you do actually get one genuine result, uh, but that's only because it's been used as the name of an art bookshop in Amsterdam. <laughs> At any nice. rate, that's that's enough insularity from me. Void, please remind us how your selection of clue worked. Yeah, my favourite clue was fodder ultimately for the old grey donkey. Three five. The definition was fodder, and ultimately four. You take the ultimate or last letter of the word four, which is the letter R. And then the next two words in the clue are the old, in which case you're being told to look for an 
old word for the, which in this case is ye, as we, in we, ye old. Yeah, which we could shop. complain about, but <laughs> yeah, old, of course yeah. It, it was always always pronounced as a th because it's a thorn letter. But anyway, that spells out r y e for you, and then grey. You take an abbreviation for grey, which is gr, which I wasn't particularly familiar with, but I guess that's apparently it's a thing. A clear and obvious one. And then donkey is ass at the end, which gives you r y e g r ass to spell out rye grass for a definition of fodder. And I liked it just because the whole of the surface felt like it was all one uh, distinct unit because you might conceivably feed rye grass to an old grey donkey. Yeah, it fits together nicely. Are you ready for a quiz? Hit us with it. Because I've got one for you. Woohoo! Now, you may or may not have noticed that this crossword had a theme. Yes. What the Dickens was it? (laughs) It was the Dickens novel Bleak House. Uh, Several clues referenced it. So I took that as my cue to test your knowledge of Dickens. Which is appalling! (laughs) Which is appalling. Fortunately, you don't actually need to have read any of the books to know these. These are fairly more the general knowledge end of the Dickens spectrum. As long as I've seen The Muppet Christmas Carol, maybe that'll help. (laughs) I've read three or four Dickens, but yeah, there's a lot I haven't, so let's see. Well, you, you may know the answer to these ones anyway. One thing Dickens was famous for was his opening lines. Uh, so your first question is, can you identify which novels these three opening lines are from? So we'll start with an easy one. Whether I shall turn out to be the hero of my own life or whether that station will be held by anybody else, these pages must show. Is that... Well, I could take two guesses, but I don't know which one. Um, I think I think I know which one. Is it one who was uh, a filmed adaptation a couple of years ago? It was indeed, yes. David Copperfield then and not Nicholas Nickleby. That'll be the chappy. That's the fellow, yeah. I like that one just because it's uh, quite mysterious and interesting. Why would the main character not be the hero of his own story? Anyway, move on. <laughs> 30 years ago, Marseille lay burning in the sun one day. Ooh. Well, that takes us to France, but it's definitely not, not a tale of two cities. Two cities, no, quite you know, indeed. You know the we all know that one, yes. Yeah. We all know that one, yeah. I, I avoided the easy ones. <laughs> mm. 30 years ago in Marseille. Hmm. I mean, I, I wouldn't say the Canton one. It's another one you may have seen. The, <laughs> you may well have seen a, a famous TV adaptation of this one as well. Not so very long ago. Hmm. Right, okay, let's take a stab at the old curiosity shop. No. Purely because it's one I have. No, that's actually Little Dorrit. Um, oh. Which was, it starts, it's, uh, it's a man who's banished, goes to France to find his fortune and comes back. And um, Very complicated, as Dickens novels are. Okay. okay. Flashback setting the scene opening. Nice. Exactly, yeah. Okay, third quote. Now what I want is facts. Teach these boys and girls nothing but facts. This is one of the few Dickens novels I have read, so I know this one. Oh, well, it, it's which is the one with the school? Um... <laughs> it's that one, yes. Yeah, <laughs> the person saying it was uh, Gradgrind. Does that help? That's correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is, um, I thought, it was an interesting one because, of course, Gradgrind has gone on to become a person who is known for only being interested in facts. 
I can't remember. Are you having a hard time thinking of it? Oh. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hard times. Right, okay, we'll move on from uh, opening lines. So your next question. Uh, Dickens spent much time touring America, reading his work to audiences. Uh, wasn't always very popular. Which US novelist said, after attending one of his lectures, he's a bad reader. He does not cut the syllables cleanly, and therefore many, and many of them, fell dead before they reached our part of the house. Mm. Well, I don't know, so I guess we're going to have to conjure up some American novelists from the current American novelists period. were contemporaries of Dickens. Uh, you probably don't know many, but you um, know at least one. Melville. I think he was a bit late, wasn't he? Twain? Ooh. Bingo. Yes, good shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark Twain, I think, yeah, he was uh, not... Big fan of Dickens. Um, finally, Mark Twain was was very kind of uh, critical of most things. Uh, well, I was going to say a lot of <laughs> lots of other people's writing and things because he, he was notorious for not liking the publishers editing his own manuscripts. They would send him a proof, and it was like everything you've done to this, undo it, put it back exactly <laughs> how I wrote it. Thank you very much. It's a bit precious. Yeah. Anyway, yes. Next question. Sorry. Yeah, third and final question. So many of Dickens' novels were illustrated by an artist called, I don't know how to pronounce this, probably Hablot Knight Brown, who, um, who had a, a pen name, which is it's not the question, but do you know what his pen name was? Well, Fizz? Dickens, yeah, I was going to say Dickens was Boz Fizz. and the illustrator was Fizz, yes. Yeah. yeah, he actually started off as Nemo, but he changed it to Fizz to correspond with Boz. Hmm. But anyway, the, the question is, at the same time as... Hablet Mike Brown applied for the job. A and fellow Victorian novelist also applied to be Dickens' illustrator, but was turned down. Do you know who that was? Ooh, oh, hang on a bit. So, so somebody who was who was a writer and illustrator. Indeed, yes. It wouldn't be Melvin Peake, would it? No. Oh, he I suppose was, he's a bit he was too late. Century, he's, wasn't he? he's later than that. No, as I was just yeah. thinking, because he he wrote and illustrated as well. Yeah, um, but no, he's too late for that, obviously. Lear, but I'm not sure you call him a novelist. No, I can't. I can't think of any uh, novelists who were. I mean, is it somebody who's Haggard. also known known for for illustration as well? No, no, and that's what I thought was interesting about it. I think. He, I mean, I think he has been known for it. But um, shall I tell you the answer? I mean, we could be here guessing all night. But... Oh, give, give us a a title he wrote. Um, oh, the only ones I know are the ones which absolutely give it away. Oh, okay. uh, Vanity Fair. Oh, it's Al Murray's great-great-grandfather, William Makepeace Thackeray. Indeed it is, yes. Okay. Vanity Fair is a fantastic novel. I hardly recommend it to anyone. Okay. Actually, I recommend it to myself because it's about 30 years since I read it, so I should probably read it again. I think it's one of those that's lurking somewhere in my to-read pile. Never quite got around to it. But there you go. Well done. Oh, thanks. Nothing no, I didn't know Thackeray did uh, illustrations. Well, he didn't. He got turned down. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> Dickens said to him, don't give up the day job. <laughs> Maybe I should say I didn't know that uh, Thackeray thought he could do illustrations. Yes, well, there's, there's a lot of those. Brilliant. Well, I see the gill sands of time have almost run out, so it's time for us to say goodbye. Thanks once again for joining us. Show notes, as always, will be at offgrid.tlmb.net and you can say hi to us on Twitter where I'm at Skirwingle. And I'm at the void TLMB. And I have puzzles on my blog with video explanations of how the clues work, which 
you might find useful if you're new to Cryptex. Uh, General, what would you like to recommend to us this time around? I would suggest going along to a rather excellent website called mycrossword.co.uk and there I would suggest trying the work of a setter called Widdersbell. And you can also follow him on Twitter at WiddersXWD. Marvellous. I would agree with that recommendation. Thank you very much for helping us out, General. And thank you for having me. We'll see you all next time, folks. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Off Grid. It's a TLMB production. Hello to our new listener in Mexico. S-O-C-K-S. Thank you to Wiglaf for today's puzzle and thanks to the Trudy for our theme tune. See you in fortnight. Goodbye. Can we hear bird song? You probably can, yeah. I'm, I'm... Sebastian Falks, no, he's he's <laughs> <laughs> definitely wasn't Sebastian Falks, no.